0: Rick Samprin in for Bill Kelly again on today's Bill Kelly Show podcast. Hamilton City Council voting to ask the province to delay any funding cuts or restructuring of health units until at least 2020. After rejecting the idea, providing pads and tampons in the washrooms of some municipal facilities, Hamilton Council approving a repackaged motion that targets the initiative specifically at women with a financial need. One of Hamilton's legal recreational cannabis stores is being forced to scale back its hours because of a supply shortage and liberal. Leadership Candidate Stephen Del Duca would cut transit fares and have the province take over some of Ontario's major highways if he becomes the province's next premier.
1: Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML.
2: What I see happening here is what happened back in the Harris days, which is it was a download to municipalities. They didn't want to increase taxes. Uh, so they forced actually municipalities to increase their taxes and or reduce their services. I didn't hear the mayor arguing when he was in my office and he wanted uh, to spend 1.2 billion on on an LRT which we approved uh, in Hamilton so it's it's okay when they want the money. We struggle over a million dollars every year at the end of the budget time to try and get to you know a number that uh, keeps us at or below inflation and at the same time continues to provide the services that are out there. I don't know where he was during the provincial election, but that was our message. We were going to reduce the size and cost of government. We made it very clear.
0: Tug of war brewing here. That's our leadoff on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. The verbal tug of war continues between the city of Hamilton and the Doug Ford government. City Council voting last night to ask the province to delay any funding cuts or restructuring of health units until at least 2020, in order to allow for public consultation. This follows Premier Doug Ford's call for municipalities to cut their budgets in year by 4%. Don't forget, councillors over the last few months had been deliberating, deciding, debating what to cut, what to keep, how the city's budget should look. Mayor Fred Eisenberger saying that would result in tax hikes and service cuts, and shows a lack of consideration for municipal budgets, noting that, quote, we struggle over a million dollars every year at the end of budget time to try to get to a number that keeps us at or below inflation. Let's bring in our first guest here on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Chad Collins is the city councilor for board number five, and he joins us now. Chad, good morning. Good morning, Rick. Well, my best guess is uh, your request to the provincial government to say, hey, you know, let's pump the brakes until 2020 uh, is probably going to be denied.
3: Yeah, I, I mean, I don't have a crystal ball, but I think that's a great assessment in terms of where we're headed with this. And, and I think we had a very good uh, discussion last night in terms of the importance of pushing the pause button, Rick. And, uh, you know, there are clearly financial implications for us. As was mentioned, we, we've already established our, our budget for the 2019 calendar year. And the cuts uh, with public health and some of the other services that the province uh, has um, has affected is we're looking at about a nine million dollar budget increase, and so that's about one percent on the uh, average uh, city tax bill. And um, you know we we've, we've been down this road before, um, same um, same party, different government with uh, Premier Harris, and I think last night's discussion centered around what recourse municipalities have, and there really isn't much. I mean, from a political perspective, we can certainly rail against some of these issues, and we can ask for dialogue and with consultation. And we haven't seen that in the first uh, you know, year or so within, of their mandate. They're just moving along uh, and making these decisions on the fly, it seems. And, uh, and certainly there are, there's no legal recourse for municipalities. And if you, know, if you remember back to the 90s, we, you know, municipalities across Ontario uh, complained about uh, the costs of downloading social housing to municipalities. That's cost us tens of millions of dollars. We're still struggling today to pay for housing. Ontario is the only province in Canada that asks municipalities to pay for those costs. All the other jurisdictions, it's the uh, responsibility of the provincial government. And of course, Rick, you know there was all of the, the I, I think um, strife—that uh, is probably the best description—back in the '90s, as it relates to the Harris government taking on teachers and the cuts to education. The Harris government taking on nurses and the, the cuts to to the healthcare system. And then, of course, we went through all those amalgamations across the province and um, and the downloading, the fight with the indigenous community. I mean, it it was a very rocky time in our province as it relates to. The provincial government and their relationship with stakeholders across the board and it seems like we're going down that same road here and i think uh, mayor eisenberger made a great point last night you know with with the harris government we kind of knew where they were going with it because they had their common sense revolution document they spelled all these things out and when they were elected and rightfully so by the the um, residents of the province um, they followed through with that in this case there is no document and you know i just heard in your opening there the premier talking about what they stood for in the election, it was very vague and they talked about themes, but there were no details attached to those themes. And so I think that's, you know, the precarious situation that we're in right now where we're, we really have no recourse with some of these decisions and, and uh, you know, the best we can do, I think, Rick, at this point is to educate the public in terms of what, kinds of impacts these decisions will have on the community, not just here at Hamilton, but it seems across the province.
0: Seems like, uh, A, it is a case of back to the future, hearkening back to the the Harris government uh, days. Uh, We also heard during the election campaign from Uh, Premier Ford that you know they were looking to find six billion dollars in efficiencies but never along the line really did they say where they were going to be looking we just knew and they and they said you know no jobs would be cut they've Mm -hmm. obviously gone back on that Um, how frustrating is it though and it must be even more frustrating because this is being mandated after the budget has been put to bed.
3: Yeah, there's really, you know, we're we're forced then to dip into reserves. You know, reserves are traditionally used for emergency situations, and uh, you know, Bill and I have had good discussions in terms of we see some of the escarpment issues that we deal with unexpectedly during the spring months. We dip into those reserves because it's not something we had anticipated, and we use those in an emergency situation, and and those reserves now will will be you know will be used to pay for these in year uh, budget issues associated with what the province is is doing.
0: So, I'll ask two questions here. What what can be cut and what can't be cut? And I think the easier the easier one, obviously, is what can't be cut. What are the untouchables in the budget?
3: Well, I mean, which the city is responsible for core services, and so we're you know it's it's a long process. We, we as soon as we finish the budget process, we're starting the next one for the following year. So our staff are already looking ahead to two thousand and twenty. Um, you know, for for the from the city's perspective, we tried to find efficiencies. So when you talk about, you know, are there any untouchables, I, I really don't think there are in terms of looking at service delivery improvements, whether it's with snow removal, whether it's, with you know, simply picking up the garbage or, or cutting the grass. I mean, oftentimes we rely on technology in terms of finding those savings. And sometimes there are uh, staffing changes as a result. Uh, you know, we went through a, a restructuring process a number of years ago and, and streamlined some of our services. And so I would say that you know everything's under the microscope every single year. However, um, there are services where, where we are mandated to, to provide them, and that's from the provincial level. And so, as Councillor Marula likes to point out, there's there are some um, you know services that we provide. Many of them that the, where the province says municipalities must provide these services, and so there's not a lot of wiggle room when it comes to police services. When it comes to some of the public health programs that are under the microscope right now. There's not a lot of discretion for cities, and and it'll mean that we're forced to make tough decisions. And tough decisions are something that we're certainly accustomed to dealing with when we deal with our own budget pressures, But when there's the shell game of the province saying, "We're not paying for these things anymore, and now you're paying for them, um, it's an easy out for the province. Um, it means that they're not going down the same road that we're we're undertaking and 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 uh, and the investigation that we're doing with our own budgets, for them, it's just passing those costs on to someone else. And I think Rick, you know, the, when you look at provinces across the country, most of them try to generate wealth to pay for services and and find efficiencies just as municipalities do. And it seems like this, you know, that concept is foreign to this government. And uh, I think it speaks to the the fact that they just don't have a plan.
0: I think their concept of generating wealth is putting up signs that say we're open for business and changing license plates to reflect that. But apart from that, yeah, we we haven't seen any sort of plan to say how we are going to generate revenue in this province. We've heard that mm-hmm. you know the province is bankrupt. We've got to make all these yep. cuts. We've got to slay yep. the deficit, but there's no that that we've seen there's no plan to say this is this is how we're going to make money,
3: not as yet and and usually generating wealth. and you know when I again use municipalities as a comparison. We're trying to find ways in in which to attract new business to the community. Um, In terms of filling up some of our industrial parks, we're trying to find ways in which to support local businesses so that they can expand their operation, create new jobs. And oftentimes when those things happen, there's new tax assessment for the city. And that new tax assessment then helps us pay for the services that our citizens rely on every day. Um, And, you know, we don't have the option of passing our costs on to someone else the, the, the alternative is obviously tax increases. And so it's always about finding a balance. And you referenced it at the opening of the show. You know, Hamilton has been in that cost of inflation, one and a half to two percent, um, cost increases over the last number of years. And we've been one of the lowest in the province. And so I, I think it's incumbent upon the, the province to go down that same road and, um, and look for those efficiencies and, and try to, to grow the economy and, and increase their own revenues.
0: We have a couple more minutes here with Chad Collins, City Councillor, Ward No. 5 here in the City of Hamilton on the Bill Kelly Show on 900CHML. Rick in for Bill this week. Um, I had uh, flamborough glanbrook uh, Conservative MPP Donna Skelly, a former Hamilton City Councillor, on the show yesterday to talk about this issue. And, and one of the items we discussed was, you know, the $7 million that the Ford government is providing municipalities to uh, have an, an auditor come in and look at the budget, go through it line by line. Um, what happens if that auditor comes back and says, all right, here's the areas you can cut. Uh, is there any sort of debate? I mean, what's the blueprint for this?
3: Well, it sounds like they're they're talking about our own budget process that we go through uh, almost,
0: you know, on a, on a monthly basis.
3: And, and we're constantly looking at services. Right now, Rick, as you know, we're looking at our former hec facilities. We have those operations out to the private sector. And we're looking for ways and means in which to offset the costs of providing those services, while at the same time possibly looking at new developments in the downtown. And so, undertaking—sorry—looking uh, uh, at our resources and our and our um, services that we deliver, it's not foreign to municipalities, and certainly not here in Hamilton. We we constantly undertake through our own auditor uh, service level investigations, as well as um, uh, other studies. To to look at where there are efficiencies, and so what the province is proposing, I think as Mayor Tory has uh, categorized it, is a public relations exercise, and um, so we won't stop doing those things. Uh, there, we're accustomed to doing them on an annual basis, and so for the province to come out and say that cities should start thinking about undertaking service delivery audits is um, it's just it's a false narrative.
0: Could this uh, issue? expedite the process to at least look at possibly selling some city-owned facilities, whether it's First Ontario Centre, Hamilton Place, Kings Forest Golf Club?
3: Yeah, those are discussions that we have every budget year. I mean, we, we have a couple of golf courses. We have long-term care facilities that some other municipalities don't have. Uh, there's always uh, you know people in the community who are asking us to look at privatization, and we've had some success and some failures down that road. Uh, so those are discussions that we have on a regular basis. I, I, I fail to understand how the province is going to assist with that when we know what our options are, and, and we take advantage of some of those options every single calendar year when we look at our own finances and our own budgets. So again, it's, it's something that we're doing, and I would encourage the province to use that, that fund or pot of money that they're proposing for municipalities to do the same at their level.
0: Well, it sounds like you guys have a lot of work ahead of you. Uh, good luck. That's all I can say. And thanks for joining us today, Chad. Thanks, Rick. Chad Collins, City Councilor, Ward Number 5, as the Ford government uh, basically telling not only the city of Hamilton, uh, a handful, well, more, more than a handful of cities across the province, to uh, dig down even deeper in their budgets, which they've already passed, to find 4% more savings. Whew. I mean, this could be tough. Is the city able to find those savings without impacting services or taxes? I think the answer is no. I think there's going to be a ripple effect somewhere down the line. Is it going to speed up that decision-making process to say, you know what, maybe we should sell some city-owned services or buildings? We shall see.
1: You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: The menstruation debate has concluded at Hamilton City Hall, at least for the time being. A week after rejecting the idea of providing pads and tampons in washrooms at municipal facilities, council last night approving a repackaged motion that targets the initiative specifically at women with financial need. The successful motion is going to explore the feasibility of providing menstrual products to those with financial need for assistance. The motion is asking staff to report back to the Board of Health, outlining specific target populations, location and distribution options, costs and an evaluation plan for a 12 month pilot project. Staff also asked to seek potential private investors of the initiative. Here to discuss this is Halima Al-Hatimi, F- FemCare Community Health Initiative, and joins us now. Halima, how are you this morning?
4: I'm good. Thanks for having me Th-
0: here. Thanks for joining us. So I, I would assume that you are looking at this as a positive development. We're moving ahead.
4: Yes. Uh, I think this is totally a step in the right direction. Uh, obviously, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done, but I think that uh council uh, made the right decision and this is going to help us uh, advance our mission uh, towards ending period poverty.
0: What have you been what have you been hearing from people in this community who are in that situation?
4: Uh, In in terms of the uh, motion that was passed I've heard a lot of uh, positive uh, responses from people.
0: And and from from people in that period poverty group what are they saying what are they doing right now how big is this need?
4: Actually, uh before we did our presentation back in December, we actually went into uh, homeless shelters to get, and community agencies, for example Willow's Place, to get uh some of the uh people that were in need to actually sign the petition that we were submitting submitting to council. And they were very enthusiastic about being able to participate in advocating for something like this and they and the responses that I've heard is that this a, a project like this is necessary in
0: the city. How big of an impact would it have if private sponsors did come on board? Because I mean, the, there's there's a lot of your costs right there.
4: Yes, I know. I know there's some uh, trepidations around getting uh, private sponsors on board to help with a, a health issue. However, we have had a number of corporate sponsors uh, supporting our work so far, and we wouldn't have been able to do this work if it wasn't. For the uh, the assistance that they've given us, and so I think that um, exploring the potential of partnering with uh, corporate corporations who would be interested in investing in a project like this uh, will ha- will yield positive results in the long run.
0: How many people would this initiative benefit, and 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 what are the options? I mean, we we could unveil this to every woman in the community or or a select few, right? Well. It,
4: this initiative is expected to support thousands of people um, across the city here in Hamilton, and uh, in, in, in the greater, in, even from a national perspective. Uh, if we were to fund menstrual products for those in need, uh, the Canadian uh, Centre for Economic Analysis uh, projects it would cost. It would uh, be able, it would be able to support a little over two hundred thousand people who would need access to these products. Hmm.
0: Did you know what kind of cost that would come with?
4: Uh, it's expected to cost about 83 to $153 per person per year.
0: Okay.
4: The average would be about
0: $87. So, you know, I just got done interviewing Chad Collins about, you know, budget pressures and the provincial government, you know, asking municipalities to find more savings. This seems to go against that grain because we're going to be spending money to fund this initiative. Uh, is there any trepidation there?
4: Yes, well, a lot of the cuts that have happened uh, so far are cuts that are disproportionately impacting uh, women, and so this is something that we've been advocating for: is taking a gender equity lens to how resources are distributed, to ensure that all people uh, who need access to to essential health items, such as menstrual products, are able to receive them. Uh, I understand that it is adding an additional cost, but this is a necessary cost, and it can help us. Uh, save costs in the long run for other health consequences, uh, such as infections, uh, violence and crime. It can help reduce that, especially because a lot of the, um, for example, uh, incarceration rates, a lot of, uh, about 85% of them, a study was done, um, at Carleton University and about 87% of these, uh, uh, incarceration rates are related to poverty, uh, poverty or economic, uh, crimes and so i think that it would uh, taking a preventative approach like this will help us save costs in the long run
0: we're chatting about and if the that's
4: what, yeah and go if ahead. That's what the government's trying to do. Then uh, I think it's in line with what they're trying to do.
0: We're chatting about the uh, menstrual debate at Hamilton City Hall last night, and uh, some progress is being made on that front. Our guest is Halima Al Hatimi from FemCare Community Health Initiative. Um, one of the um, uh, bullet points from the motion from last night is uh, an evaluation plan for a 12-month pilot project. How do you see that pilot project working?
4: Uh, currently we've been uh, setting up donation stations throughout the city a lot of them have been local business and corporate uh, partners that have been helping us uh, and so I think we we'd like to continue to help the city because we already have uh, experience with distributing these products but so it would we would be div- working on developing the existing model that we have and and using this opportunity to formalize uh, this model to get the products to those in need. Ideally, we would like to see them going to shelters, community agencies, uh, food banks, and recreation centers first, because this is how uh, we can ensure that they're getting to those that uh, need them the most. Is
0: Is there a particular part of the city that there is greater needs, whether it's the lower city, the mountain, East End, whatever the case?
4: Right now, most of our work has been uh, through the lower city, but we have um, spoken to women's shelters that are located on the mountain as well that are in need of these products.
0: Wow. Best case scenario for you guys, obviously, is to have uh, you know these products in all municipal facilities. But is that, you know, considering the cost, is that a pipe dream right now?
4: Uh, right now, our fight is to support those who are economically disenfranchised, just given all the cuts that are happening throughout the province, and there's a lot of contention with respect to where uh, funding is going, which I can understand that, uh, given the socio-political climate. Uh, So our our focus would be to help those in need first. Ideally, we'd like to have menstrual products accessible in all uh, washrooms, uh, especially in municipal washrooms. However, uh, if if it's a question of supporting those that need it the most, then that's the direction we'd like to take for now. Anyhow.
0: If any of our listeners want more information on uh, FemCare Community Health Initiative, where can they go?
4: Uh, they can check us out on social media right now. We have our website coming up uh, probably by the end of summer, but right now they can check us out on Instagram or Facebook.
0: Alima, appreciate the time today. Thank you very much. Awesome. Thank you so much. Halima Al-Hatimi from FemCare Community Health Initiative. Uh, check them out on social media, and as she said, their website is up and coming.
1: You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Canna Cabana is... Uh, running out of supply. <laughs> Rick Sampron here. This is the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Yeah, what if Hamilton's legal recreational cannabis store is being forced to scale back its hours? Canna Cabana, that's the one located at the center on Barton, says the problem is a lack of product. Owner Stephen Fry says uh, they're going to close on Sundays and they're also cutting back by at least an hour from Monday to Wednesday. They've also hit the pause button on adding any more staff. Right now there's 27 employees there. They had planned to hire 10 more. Fry says he averages about 5 kilos in sales a day, but the Ontario Cannabis Store won't provide more than 25 kilos of product a week. So you do the math, it's about 5 days worth. Hello Cannabis in Dundas also reporting supply issues, but as of right now not planning any changes to its store hours. The Ontario Cannabis Store says the maximum order sizes are part of, quote-unquote, temporary measures to address a national shortage of market-ready cannabis. Let's bring our next guest, Michael Armstrong, Ph.D. Associate Professor, Goodman School of Business at Brock University, and joins us now on the Bill Kelly Show. Michael, good morning. Good morning. Well, supply not meeting demand, Uh, that's uh, pretty cut and dry in this case.
2: It's uh, been the story of legalization for the last, uh, well, ever since October. Uh, nationally, there's just not enough uh, cannabis being produced, particularly uh, dry cannabis the smokable stuff in finished product form. So it's not surprising that the Ontario stores, uh, given that there's only a small number of them serving a very large market, uh, can't keep up with demand
0: who who goofed the most, I guess, is the appropriate question. Is it the federal government in only releasing a certain amount of product, or is it the province by opening, I think it's 25 stores, and realizing they were going to have a lot of product?
2: Um, the main problem is that the industry is basically starting up for almost from scratch. So the federal government made a decision uh, way back when it came up with legalization legislation, that they wanted to follow the medical pharmaceutical model. As I say, uh, they wanted uh, strict growing conditions, lots of testing, lots of licensing. Uh, so they weren't going to let uh, illegal grow ops just you know go out and pay a fee and get a license. Uh, so an industry had to start from scratch with building or renovating greenhouses, other uh, growing facilities. So uh, when legalization came in October. They just didn't have enough production capacity yet. Um, so that all, the shortages, in a general sense, all lead back to the original government decision. Uh, now, they could have gone with uh, the approach most of the American states are taking, uh, which is more a uh, uh, free enterprise approach, if you like. They're saying, okay, anybody wants to go pay a license fee, maybe do some testing, but uh, just go at it. So down the States, a lot of the illegal processors or growers uh, are just converting over. Uh, There's an advantage to both. I mean, with the Canadian model, uh, you get a lot more testing, uh, less likelihood of contamination, uh, hopefully some higher product quality, but it means the industry has to build up production capacity almost from zero.
0: Did the government underestimate the demand at all, or, or are they just kind of treading very carefully?
2: um the government well no one 's really sure what the demand is right. uh, people don't uh, it's hard to get people to honestly report when they 're doing something dishonest uh, buying illegally uh, but the government had some pretty good estimates in 2018 uh, the one I refer to the most is one prepared for health Canada uh, which uh, suggests the demand per month is around seventy seven thousand kilograms uh, that 's for all types of cannabis across the country uh... Production capacity, or uh, unfortunately, it was only about a fifth of that in the legal industry so far. So there's a shortage of uh, 60,000 kilograms per month of cannabis products in Canada.
0: Brock University's Michael Armstrong joining us here on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Rick, in for Bill this week. Uh, Will the lack of product, and I think I know the answer to this, will the lack of product just force customers back to the black market and... And, and just stick with it and not come back to these legal stores?
2: Uh, well, certainly for the time being, they are uh, sticking with the black market. Uh, the legal industry is only capturing about one-fifth of total demand in Canada, so about four-fifths of the market, four-fifths of uh, customers, are still going to their black market suppliers, whether it's a uh, big organized crime or whether it's uh, some guy down the street. Um so that is continuing. Now, I don't know that it's a, uh, a permanent uh, turnout. Certainly it's annoying customers who go into the store and find it's uh, stocked out. Uh, I don't think they're going to blame the retailer too much because I mean, the shortages are national. They've been getting enough news coverage. People know it's not the, not the local guy's fault. Uh, but certainly it's holding back the, uh, the main goal of legalization, which was to uh, get the legal product to displace the, the black market product uh, hopefully uh, provide a healthier option to consumers and uh, cut back on revenues to uh, illegal operators.
0: What is your best guesstimate as to when the supply issues are going to be rectified, when are we are going to see more product in stores?
2: Uh, well, I've given up trying to estimate the <laughs> end date uh, because there's been so many changes and so many uh, bad estimates. But in the shorter term, uh, we did see in the... Uh, an increase in production uh going from December to January and again from January to February production increased about sixteen percent between January and February in terms of the dry cannabis, which is the stuff that's in, in greatest shortage. Uh so the industry is moving in the right direction. Um, I think we'll see steady improvement throughout the year, or at least uh, ongoing improvement throughout the year, but as to when it will actually uh actually be the majority of the market, uh, I think that's difficult to tell, but a long way off. Um, at some point, though, the production capacity is going to stop being the problem uh, in the sense that uh, we're going to run into problems with other issues like do we have enough stores, uh, is the legal price too high relative to the black market, so we're not competitive, uh, all the kinds of issues you run into when you try and compete with an established uh, industry.
0: Mm-hmm. Any, any concerns about quality of what is being sold through the, the OCS?
2: Um, it depends how you look at quality. I think quality in the sense of uh, safety uh, is probably far higher than the black market. I mean, there are probably uh, illegal operators who, who grow a very good product very safely. Uh, but the stuff that you buy in the stores, the legal stores, has been tested Uh, for all kinds of contamination, uh, pesticides, mold, and that kind of thing. It's labeled so you know roughly what the potency is, uh, what you're buying. Uh, You don't have to worry about it being laced with some uh, other kind of substance, uh, some other kinds of drug, for example. Um, Where quality on the legal side maybe is not so great is in terms of customer satisfaction. So, for example, apparently a lot of experienced users like very high-potency dry cannabis. They're looking for 30% THC content. Uh, The legal industry hasn't uh, provided as much of that uh, as they uh, has been desired. Uh, Likewise, on the uh, oil side, uh, medical users and people looking for kind of a wellness, uh, they're not looking to get high, but they're trying to get healthier in some sense, are looking for oils that are very high in the CBD Uh, ingredients. And again, the industry hasn't provided as much of that as they should. So product mix issues in terms of getting the right types of oils, the right types of dry cannabis, that's uh, a quality issue the industry uh, needs to work on.
0: Hmm. Michael, great discussion. Thanks for the time today. My pleasure. Michael Armstrong, uh, Ph.D., Associate Professor, Goodman School of Business with Brock University, sharing some insights on uh, the supply shortage of uh, recreational marijuana in this province, certainly feeling it in Hamilton. If you are a customer of Canna Cabana, they're now going to be closed on Sundays. They're going to reduce their hours of operation between uh, Monday and uh, Wednesday, and uh, they've pressed the pause button on hiring more staff because of that uh, supply issue.
1: (laughs) You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Liberal leadership candidate Stephen Del Duca would cut transit fares and have the province take over some of Ontario's major highways if he becomes the province's next premier. Those highways, by the way, include the Red Hill Valley Parkway here in Hamilton, as well as the Gardiner and the DVP in Toronto del duca ontario's transportation minister from 2014 to 2018 also pledging to restore a plan doubling of provincial gas tax revenues for municipalities which was recently canceled by the ford government and he would introduce half price ttc and go transit fares during off-peak hours well let's bring in stephen del duca former ontario transportation minister and candidate for the leadership of the ontario liberal party stephen good morning
5: Morning, Rick. Thanks for having me on.
0: Thanks for coming on. The natural first question is, I guess, why wasn't all this done when you were in office, or was this on the to-do list?
5: So there were a number of things that we did start to do, and I'm talking now specifically in the transportation area. Obviously, massive expansions of uh, transit service on-the-go system, for example. Also supporting, you mentioned a second ago, the the doubling of the gas tax. Um, the doubling of, of the gas tax plan that we had uh, we had proposed to do and started to do, uh, and again delivering more service and providing more relief and support for municipalities that were dealing with uh, with ongoing transit challenges. I served in the transportation role for just about three and a half years, as you said, and I had the chance to travel the province and to learn very directly from commuters and from uh, from municipal leaders about the struggles they face to maintain the road, bridge, and highway infrastructure that had been downloaded a generation ago, uh, the notion that particularly during off-peak times, but just in general, people need more relief when it comes to their commutes uh, in terms of time, in terms of their bank accounts. Uh, and so I've taken that experience, and I've taken the fact that we did make some progress. I've come up with this plan now. And my, my approach on this, generally speaking, is that even though I think we did accomplish a lot, progress never is supposed to stop. We are always supposed to keep moving the yardsticks forward. And so that's why I'm proposing this at this point in time.
0: Premier Doug Ford is cutting, slashing, burning budgets, downloading services uh, in a frantic efforts to slay the deficit. Sounds like you want to upload services and spend money. C- can we afford it? Because you know the PCs are saying this province is broke, and we have to trim the fat. So I know what
5: the I know what Doug Ford is saying. I think the really interesting thing for listeners is to remember that in this year's budget, Doug Ford is actually spending five billion dollars more than we spent in last year's budget so he's actually investing or spending more tax dollars across the province i i've been saying in my traveling i've never seen a premier spend so much of people's money and delo- deliver so much i'm sorry deliver so little for the families of of this province and so what i'm talking about is what we need to prioritize as as and as someone who will be running for the leadership of the ontario liberal party someone who hopefully if i'm successful in that regard will be taking on doug ford, doug ford in 2022 is I will stand up and fight for the things that I believe in. I believe in transit and transportation infrastructure that's modernized, that makes sense for today, that's good for our environment because we're confronting climate change head on, it's good for our economy, and most importantly, it provides the people that we are honored to represent with relief, quality of life improvements, giving them time back with their families. So these are things that are really important to me, and I'm going to continue to talk about them there will be no doubt there'll be a need to, to invest on the part of the province, but I believe it is the province's responsibility to step up and show leadership.
0: Why should the province, under your plan, take over uh, highways like the Red Hill, like the Gardener, like the DVP? What are the benefits?
5: So there are a couple of things. Again, I I'd heard loudly and clearly uh, from municipal leaders and from residents about the need to provide uh, the relief uh, that people are looking for. And the property tax base in many communities, large communities, smaller communities, medium-sized communities, it struggles to maintain road, bridge, highway infrastructure that, uh, especially as time goes on, requires pretty constant fixes and pretty constant upkeep. The Ministry of Transportation has uh, both the expertise, obviously, in highway and bridge and road infrastructure maintenance, uh, and also the province has the fiscal capacity, the dollars, literally, to be able to make these investments. The ownership piece is important, not from a control standpoint, But it's important because when the province owns the asset, it can actually amortize the investments over a very long period of time, which is easier for the province with that bigger bank account to do. So to me, it boils down to fiscal capacity and the actual expertise and providing municipalities with and property taxpayers with with ultimate relief.
0: Do you anticipate any pushback from municipalities like Toronto, like Hamilton?
5: So that's why I'm stressing in my proposal today that this is not about dictating from on high. One of the most important things for me is the notion of partnerships. So whether we're talking about Mayor Eisenberger or Mayor Tory or the councils that they lead, or frankly mayors right across the province of Ontario, this is about getting to a a place where there's a mutual agreement. So in some cases, I have no doubt municipalities would like to see the province do the upload, and I'd definitely be open to that. And I'm sure in some cases municipalities would rather maintain ownership. And I'm fine with that, too. I really, uh, Ontario is a very big province and has a lot of a lot of diverse geography. Uh, And we we don't we, we have to be in a world where we can't pretend that a one size fits all solution will make sense in this regard. It's about dialogue. It's about discussion. And it's about meaningful partnership. And I'm a big believer in that.
0: We're chatting with Stephen Del Duca, former Ontario Transportation Minister, candidate for the leadership of the Ontario Liberal Party here on the Bill Kelly Show on 900-CHML. Rick Samprin, in for Bill today regarding go transit and, uh, you know, TTC just down the highway in Toronto. Uh, Personally, you know, I've used public transit. uh, I've been on the go. I've been on the TTC. I've used the HSR here in Hamilton. I think you're going to need more than just a financial incentive during off-peak hours, which is a good idea to get more people to use those services. But I think at the end of the day, they just want more of the service. They want more GO trains. They want an extended service past Hamilton into Niagara. Can we make that happen?
5: Yeah, so uh, I agree completely. And I'm um, both in my time as transportation minister and certainly today and going forward, I'm a big believer in building more transit and providing more service, whether it's for HSR or it's GO or it's the TTC and there are 107 municipalities across the province of Ontario that have transit systems representing about 92% of the province's population. So we definitely need to build build more and put more into service, and that's why I want to restore the $364 million in annual funding that Doug Ford cut for transit in his last budget. The reason I'm starting with a a big discount for off-peak transit fares is that I'm, and I know this happens in Hamilton, it certainly happens in my home community of Vaughan, You see transit uh, vehicles, buses, you know, whatever it is, go trains that go through peak periods and are full, and people are using them because that's a traditional, conventional way to commute. And a few hours later, or in some cases less than that, an hour later, the same bus goes by during an off-peak time. The operations are already being paid for. That's a fixed cost to the municipality, and the bus is nowhere near full. And it runs all day long like that, and then in the afternoon rush hour, it gets crammed again or gets much busier again. I want to find a way using this steep discount for off-peak transit fares to level off the peaks and to encourage more people, students, students, seniors, and just generally speaking, others who wouldn't ordinarily think of taking transit. Look, if I take it during off-peak and I'm on an HSR bus instead of paying a cash fare of three dollars, I'm only going to pay a buck fifty. That's a pretty steep discount. That's sending a pretty strong signal, I think, to commuters that they have this option that's more affordable. So to me, it's about doing both. You're right. We need more, more go trains, more service, all of it. But I want to make sure that we're leveling off commuter patterns and giving people pocketbook and commuting time relief.
0: I think that will definitely, uh, you know, spread the the population of people that is currently using public transit. You're not going to have. You know, in in best case scenario, uh, a bunch of people on one bus as opposed to not having any on another. But I, I think it, the fact of the matter is, I don't think people are, are are going to be willing to give up their cars and get on the go. Um, so th- I, I think that's an uphill climb.
5: Yeah, you, the other thing that I should mention, and and, and then the Lakeshore West corridor, which which serves which serves uh, which serves Hamilton, already has this and, and has for quite some time. But Go Transit's long term plan is to continue to put out even more off-peak service across the network. And that means on a number of the lines that we have, um, we need to create new ridership for windows of time for which there currently isn't much ridership because traditionally there hasn't been off-peak service. So providing this kind of, again, steep discount, I think actually encourages somebody who's sitting there looking at the Barry Corridor or the Milton Corridor or the Kitchener Corridor, and I say this only because Lakeshore West already has off-peak service throughout the day, um, but it's going to be getting more, from what I understand, over, over time. Uh, we want to encourage people to say, you know what, I can leave my car at home if I have to go to Mississauga or into Toronto or somewhere else. And I can do it. And actually, instead of paying 5 bucks going away, I'm paying $2.50. In fact, if, if you do the math on this and you look at HSR and someone is, is paying the cash fare, we're talking about if they move to an off-peak window, they could be saving hundreds and hundreds of dollars every single year. Is it enough all on its own? No. But here's the other thing. It's really, really critical. The service that we're talking about more GO trains, more buses, and the GTA, subways, everything else like that, LRTs, all of it, those massive infrastructure projects, which I love and I know we need, they take time. Like they take years. Like look what Hamilton's been going through on LRT. It takes years to go from concept to shovel in the ground to actually putting it into service. The really cool thing about a steep discount for off peak transit fares is. It doesn't take time. No shovels are involved. It's a conversation, it's an agreement, and you can do it. So Doug Ford could actually steal this idea from me tomorrow and have it delivered within months instead of waiting years, giving commuters in Hamilton and beyond relief right away. Which I think is a really, really critical thing that all of us have been missing for some time.
0: Our guest is Ontario Liberal Party leadership hopeful Stephen Del Duca here on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Rick in for Bill. Let's talk. Uh, we've got a couple more minutes. Let's talk about the gas tax sure. revenue idea that you have. Uh, what yeah. kind of dollars are we looking at here?
5: So, across the province this year, the gas tax program provided um, transit systems with $364 million. Again, that's 107 municipalities more than 90 percent of ontario's population covered by those municipalities what we had planned to do was increase that 364 million doubling it by 2021 doug ford had committed to do that as well during the last election campaign in this year's budget they canceled that increase uh, i will be restoring that increase what that means specifically for hamilton hamilton received about 11 and a half million dollars this year from the gas tax program it would mean a doubling up to 23 million dollars for HSR, for expanded service, state of good repair, making sure people in Hamilton have the kind of transit that they deserve.
0: So that four percent budget cut that Premier Ford is asking municipalities, including Hamilton, to make uh, within their current budget would be wiped out, essentially?
5: Uh, uh, Yeah, well, I mean, it it certainly hurts. And I know uh, in in all the media that I've been reading and the conversations I've been having with mayors and municipal councillors, they they, it, it's literally one hit after another, one cut after another. And in many cases, like the transit funding cut, it was it's a broken promise because you know the the conservatives, Doug Ford and the conservatives literally said last year they would honor the doubling of the gas tax, and now they're cutting it
0: In, in many respects, we got what we voted for too. I mean, uh, we we were told six billion dollars in efficiencies were going to be found, and anyone with a brain and their noggin uh, could easily find out that there's there's going to be cuts and there will continue to be cuts.
5: Yeah, I I just think that I think the scale and the scope of the cuts and the lack of the lack of what seems to be a coherent plan around the cuts is probably what's most disturbing to me. Uh, But governing is about choices and uh, fiscal responsibility is really important. And it's important to me. It's a value that was passed to me by my parents and grandparents. And government does have to make important and sometimes very tough choices. But it just doesn't seem to me like there's a coherent plan in the way that they're going about. Uh, trying in their in their minds i suppose to be fiscally responsible i am a big believer for economic quality of life and environmental reasons that we do need better and more um, more available and more affordable transit and that's why i want to make critical investments in this regard it's why i've unveiled these plans today
0: Stephen, always appreciate the time enjoy the rest of the day and good luck on the campaign trail
5: Thanks so much, Rick. I really appreciate it.
0: Stephen Del Duca, former Ontario Transportation Minister and candidate for the leadership of the Ontario Liberal Party, which we all know decimated in the last provincial election. Uh, We shall see how quickly or how long it takes for them to uh, get back to, well, not only official party status, but to respectability, maybe even power in this province. One time down the road.
1: The Bill Kelly Show. Weekdays
0: from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast. Don't forget to tell your friends about it. And don't forget to rate and review.